Our second scripture comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Hear the word of God, would you? And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Oh, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are neither, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, and I have prospered, and I have need of nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, Jesus says, to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, Jesus says, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh, the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we continue our study of the churches of Revelation today with this last message, the seventh message to the church of Laodicea. And uh, I, I pray that this has been uh, helpful for you in your own personal discipleship. I know that it's been helpful for us as the people of God, as we had this chance to hear Jesus speak specifically to us in so many different contexts. Have you found that sometimes in our study of the Word, it seems like Jesus is just reading our minds, that he's read our journals, that he knows exactly the situations that we are facing? I, I think that that's true for me as well. And I'm trusting that as we allow God's word to speak to us, and especially as we hear it and respond to it, then God is going to bless us richly. He's going to lead us to life. There's so many traps, aren't there? So many stumbling blocks. There's so many times when we find ourselves, maybe through the influence of the evil one, maybe through the influence of the world around us, or maybe even through the own desires of our own flesh, we 
begin to start to think, you know, I would just be happy if this, right? I would, I would be content if I just had this, right? And we've kind of discovered that it's a trap. It's like a triple trap. Why? Because, because when you're thinking about what you don't have rather than what you have, it keeps you miserable as you wait impatiently for those desires to be fulfilled. But secondly, wanting more, wanting what you don't have, never satisfies. Because even if you get what you want or what you wish for at first, right? Eventually you still want more. Third, I think it, it cheats us out of the happiness, the joy that comes from the wealth that we already possess. Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm not wealthy. I'm not talking just about monetary wealth, right? Because we are rich, amen? We are rich in so many ways. And the beauty of Christian community is, is that God invites us to share that wealth, that fellowship, that, that intimacy, that love with, with everyone who would come seeking it. So this Thanksgiving weekend, right, cultivating a thankful heart and a thankful spirit is an invitation to a learned behavior. We're fallen people. It's not natural to be thankful for what God has given us, right? But we can choose. We can choose to be thankful. We can choose to pray. We can choose joy, right? Because, because God has chosen it for us already. He's invited us to leave behind selfishness. He's invited us to leave behind greed. He's invited us to leave behind discontent, right? And those times when we, by nature, feel cheated and envious and, and, and left behind, um, God says, you have no idea. You have no idea how blessed you really are. So I think in this last letter to the Church of Laodicea, Jesus is calling us to a better way. He's opening our eyes to a different gospel, a, a, a gospel of, of freedom, a gospel of forgiveness, a, a gospel given to us at the cost of his very life. Oh, he's opening our eyes to, to a new relationship, right? A new wonderful relationship with our Heavenly Father. The source, as James said, of every good and perfect gift. Oh, he's opening our eyes to the great wealth that we already have. The treasures of, of possessions, yes, but especially of friends and family, of brothers and sisters in Christ. And best of all, he reminds us of the treasure we have of him. I am his he is mine. The greatest gift of God to you, beloved, is himself. So even in the midst of 
the pestilence, even in the midst of the financial difficulties that have come through this, even in the midst of all the physical, emotional, and spiritual challenges that you're facing, the gospel helps us to be optimists, right? It invites us to renew our attitudes daily, to be in line with the reality of our life, our status uh, as forgiven and, and children of God, which no one can take away. So let's open our eyes and ears to this study of this letter to the church at Laodicea. Let's see if God doesn't speak to us even today. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you um, for your Holy Spirit. Your word says that, that um, scripture is spiritually discerned. And if we just come at this, God, um, with our own mind, with our own resources, likely we will miss some of the blessing that you have for us here. But if instead, God, if instead you will give us spiritual eyes to see, then, then God, I know our lives will never be the same. So, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, there's some truths for us from this seventh letter now. This, this letter to the church at Laodicea. Oh, I think they are. I want to remind you of, of some of the lessons that he repeats here that we've seen throughout these seven letters. The first one is that Jesus knows the condition of his people. He knows the condition of his people. And as we'll see, that means he knows our emotional and spiritual condition, but, but he knows our physical condition as well. One of the things I've so enjoyed in the study of Revelation is that when he speaks to those people, he speaks to situations that only they would have known, right? What, what is true about Laodicea? What is what is Jesus know about them. Well, he knows that they have a water problem. You remember from our map of, of the seven churches of Asia that, that Laodicea is way over here near the very border of Phrygia. And it's on a, this big open plain, which worked wonderful when it was a small city. There was this small creek almost, maybe a river going through uh, the plain that they began to build the city by. Uh, but as the city grew, like is so true of so many places in the United States even, as the city grew, it very quickly outgrew its water supply. And so they had to import water from somewhere else. And they did that from two sources, archaeologists tell us. One was this amazing, oh, I wish I could go into it, this amazing architectural feat of bringing uh, uh, warm water from uh, a city six miles to the north of Laodicea called Heropolis, famous for its mineral baths, for its mineral hot springs. And, and uh, the amazing uh, engineers and architects were able to bring from this uh, six miles away, this city six miles away, uh, amazing uh, water with restorative powers, mineral water that, that uh, would, would not only heal the body, but, but, but um, 
comfort the soul. Uh, at the same time, uh, nine miles to the south, nine miles, there was uh, an, another a city that was famous for its now uh, snow melt, its cold, refreshing water. That was a city we know from the book of Colossians, the city of Colossae. So, so Laodicea, uh, this amazing, wealthy, rich city on the plain, drew uh, warm water from one source six miles away and cold water from another source nine miles away. But therein lie, lay the problem, despite their amazing engineering. As that cold water traveled nine miles to get to the city of Laodicea, it became uh, tepid. It became lukewarm. As that warm mineral water uh, traveled the six miles from the city of Heropolis to Colossae, it became lukewarm. And so Jesus, fully aware of the physical situation as well as the emotional and spiritual situation of Laodicea, Jesus speaks to that problem. Laodicea had not only a water problem, right? But Laodicea had a spiritual problem as well. There, the church was like the city. The church which had, had uh, begun in passion, on fire for God, uh, the church that had, had begun with such uh, amazing energy had, had grown tepid, had grown lukewarm. Jesus cried to them, it was plaintive. He, 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 he said, I would that you were either hot or cold, but you are neither. And so I will spew you out of my mouth. I love coffee, right? But I love my coffee either hot or cold. Have you ever, um, I'm gonna give myself away here, but have you ever reached for the wrong cup of coffee on your desk? I've done that recently. Grabbed the white styrofoam cup with coffee in it, took a big gulp of it, and found out it was coffee from two days before that had been sitting there on my counter. And, and yeah, the, the response, my natural physical response was to want to spew. I didn't, fortunately. Um, but the natural response was, I, this does not work. If it was hot, it would work. If it was Starbucks iced coffee, it would work. But when it was lukewarm, it did not work. It did not work. Laodicea had a physical problem, but the church at Laodicea had a spiritual one. They had grown lukewarm. But if it's possible, they had, they had an even greater problem than that. They not only had a water problem, but Laodicea had a vision problem as well. The church at Laodicea had a vision problem as well. And there's a little bit of an irony here because like Evansville, Laodicea was a regional medical center. And as a result of that and, and several other factors that played in, they were incredibly wealthy, right? But what it was that that probably was the source of their greatest wealth was that they had 
somehow mastered this art of making from the minerals in the area a salve for your eyes so that people who were struggling with eye infections, people that were struggling with vision problems could take this salve. It was, it was um, uh, called fr Phrygian powder and, and they could put it on their eyes and their eyes would be healed. Now, no, we understand that in concept, but because we have so many resources, I have so many pairs of glasses to help my eye problems. I have eye drops that I keep by my, my, uh, my nightstand. Um, we have so many things at our disposal. The weight of that doesn't, doesn't um, fully come to bear on us. But, but imagine that you lived in pain with your eyes. Imagine that you were going blind and, and all for the want of a simple a solution, Phrygian powder, right? You would pay whatever you had to pay for that. As a result, this, this city became very wealthy and though they were able to help people recover their physical vision, they lost their spiritual vision, right? What do I mean by that? Laodiceah had an incredibly exaggerated opinion of themselves. Laodiceah was proud, were proud, right? They said, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I have need of nothing. Isn't that amazing to say? I mean, we're one of the wealthiest um, uh, nations on, on earth. We live at, at a time when we are some of the wealthiest people in all of human history, but we still uh, probably are very conscious of our needs. The Laodiceans, they, they said, I have need of nothing. If I could just press pause here and say, beloved, we need to be paying attention to this example from scripture, right? We need to keep in mind that every good and perfect gift is from above, right? Coming down from the Father of lights, James 1, 17. So if, if you are blessed financially, if you're blessed relationally, if you are blessed spiritually, it is a blessing from God. If you are blessed with material possessions, maybe favorable opportunities, right? If you're blessed with good health, it's because of him. You didn't arrive where you are, right? Or, or receive what you have on your own, right? Well, you may think that you did, but it was God who gave you the abilities to do those things, right? It was, it was God who gave you those blessings. He's the one causing your heart to beat. He's the one giving you your very breath. Remember, anything you have, anything, is a result of his kindness and grace. That's why we took time this morning just to, to stop and thank him for what he's done for us, right? Even when we couldn't necessarily always understand what he was doing. 
That's why we took time to praise him for his nature and character, who he really is. His kindness and mercy are just natural outpourings of who he is. So who is God? Who is Jesus? What did what does he do, right? Well, what did he do for the Laodiceans, right? Being fully aware of the condition of his people, he challenged them. Jesus challenged Laodicea, and he challenged them because he loved them. And I just want to—I want to anchor everything else we're going to say here, because he's—he's going to come down really hard. I want to anchor everything else that he's going to say in this love, right? Love is always the motivating factor in Christ's correction, in his challenge to us, in his chastisement of us, right? Love is the motivation. I know you understand this, right? You all had, were children or raised children, and you know that there was things that you did with a broken heart things you withheld or restraints that you put around, not because you wanted to limit your children, but because you wanted to love them. You wanted to protect them. We moved across the street into a cul-de-sac when our children, when Chelsea was very young and Matthew was just born, we moved because we wanted to protect them from the street. God's challenges, his chastisements, his his, his interventions into our lives are always because of love, because God is love. God is love. So out of this genuine love, Jesus confronts and counsels his beloved. How did he confront them? Jesus confronted the confused Laodiceans with truth, with truth. Remember what they were thinking? I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I have need of nothing. Jesus confronts them in the midst of that and says, no, no, you are not rich. You do have needs. You are wretched, he says. That's a, that's a word that probably would be more accurately translated a calloused. You have, you have gone back and forth to that same thought process so many times that you're so calloused you can't understand reality anymore. He said you are pitiful and, and that literally means you, you are in need. I have need of nothing. They said, no, Jesus says you have great needs and the greatest one is to be able to see yourself as I see you. You are poor, he said, not rich. You are blind despite the fact that you have grown wealthy through your healing people's physical blindness. You're spiritually blind. And though you adorn yourself with the latest fashions and, and the most extravagant clothing, the reality is you are naked, Jesus said. You are naked. Pride, pride had blinded them to the goodness of God. And the church at Laodicea, and by the way, 
um, you can see um, online pictures of that church of Laodicea. It became uh, this massive, massive, extravagant building, right? Building. And, and it has lasted now 2,000 years. You can see the remnants of that basilica that they built there, possibly after the time of this letter, but, but the seeds of their struggle was already there. You can see the remnants of that building today. But we have learned, have we not, that the church is not the building. I'm so grateful that we have a physical home, but this home is not the church, right? We are the church. And what Jesus is doing is strengthening the reality of who the church genuinely is. Goodness. Pride. Pride overtook the Laodicean church. And they, like their city, became the center of their own world. Their self-centeredness caused them to become independent, self reliant and to forget the God who gave them their every breath. I think one of the secondary things that happens when we forget who God is, is that we forget also who God has called us to love. We forget the needs of those around us as well. So Jesus challenged the confused, right? He counseled the callous with wisdom, buy from me, he said, buy from me what you can't buy anywhere else. It is astounding to, to look at the architecture of that city. They had four shopping centers uh, in a different kind of sense, or outdoor malls, as it were, that, that by conservative estimates had over 4,500 stores. They, they had a virtual mall they could go to any time they wanted. And Jesus said, you have all these opportunities before you, like we have Amazon, right? They have all these opportunities and you're buying, you're spending your resources on things that will not last for eternity, right? Jesus says, don't buy gold jewelry, buy from me a refined treasure. Buy from me a, a gold that will last not only in through this world, it'll make you rich now, but, but a treasure that will last throughout of eternity. Buy from me not the latest fashions from, from Rome, but buy from me garments of splendorous purity. That's what the white garments were symbols of physical, emotional, and spiritual purity. Buy for me, he says, salve, yes, but not for your physical eyesight. Buy from me salve for your spiritual eyesight so that you can see what is genuinely true. Well, Jesus counseled the callous with wisdom. No, spend Spend your time and your treasure and your talents on things that will last. And Jesus commanded the cold-hearted to respond. I want to note just again, I've said it so many times. I'm, I'm really speaking, I'm preaching to myself. 
but we're conditioned to not respond, right? We're so conditioned. God has given us his word so freely. We, it, it sits on our, on our coffee tables and we have so much access to it that, that we're conditioned not to respond to it. I think about so many places in the world where they're gathered like we are this morning and just a few people in a room, but where the word of God is so rare that, that when it is, it is read, it's like treasure. It's like manna. It, it, it feeds their souls. And, and we who have so much access to the word of God are conditioned not to respond. Jesus speaks to us like he spoke to the Laodicean church, right? Be zealous. Are you ready for this? Uh, the root of the, of the uh, Greek word for zeal is to get hot again, right? To get hot again. Cold refreshes, right? Heat restores, but lukewarm? Lukewarm does nothing, right? Be zealous, he said. Get on fire again. And we've heard in so many of the other letters, remember, right, the way you were at the beginning when you first received the great news of the gospel. Oh, um, fan into flame the spiritual fire in your soul. Get zealous again. And he says it again for the fifth time now. And repent. Repent about your false perceptions of yourself. Oh, Father, forgive us for the times when we have made, we didn't worship idols, we've worshiped our own needs. We have lifted up our own selves as idols. Oh, Father, forgive us. We repent. We choose God, to turn from ourselves, to turn from our self-sufficiency, and to recognize that you and you alone are sufficient. But we praise you, God, that you're all sufficient for our needs, even those of us right now struggling with fears of the future, with very great health challenges, with many, God, with very huge financial concerns. Oh, so many, God, with, with broken relationships who are, who are wondering if they could ever be restored. God, we repent of our own self-sufficiency. We cry out to you. Amen. Amen. Mm. Be zealous. Jesus commands, repent, right? Hear his voice and, and open the door. Do you remember how last week when we were studying the church of Philadelphia, we saw that God said, I have placed before you an open door, right? He had nothing bad to say about that church. He said, in the midst of all your struggles, the world lies before you, right? The world is before you. I place before you an open door. Walk through that door. The situation at Laodicea is slightly different. Jesus says something astounding. He says, I'm standing at the door, in other words, outside the door, and knocking. And if anyone hears my voice, catch that, hears my voice, which recognizes my voice, and opens the door, I will come in and commune with him or her. And 
he or she with me. I want you to note how astounding this is because though we've used this scripture constantly, many of our lives have been changed by this scripture. When we move from no faith to faith, we walk through that door. We think of this scripture as referring to those outside, to, to referring to non-believers. But, but Jesus is speaking to a church. He's speaking to us. He's saying, oh, beloved, understand you have locked me out. You have become so self-sufficient that you have no need of me. And, and now I'm on the outside. I'm, I'm knocking knocking hear my voice respond and open the door again like the church of philadelphia we stand with an open door before us for ministry but the thing that's going to keep us from it is our self-sufficiency is our dependence on ourself i'm not saying don't be wise don't be prudent um, God has given you minds, use them, but, but don't put your trust in your ability to perceive, right? Oh, as we'll see, I get so excited because we're going to be in Daniel and Revelation in the new year. And, and, and boy, those are humbling books. You don't have to read very far to go. I have no idea what's going on here. As we'll see, there's so much more going on than we really understand. We need... Jesus, amen. We need his Holy Spirit to commune with us and to fill us and to help us understand how to respond. So um, I have a question for you. As we end our um, study of God's word together today, will you accept Jesus' invitation, church, Will you accept Jesus' invitation, follower of Christ? Will you accept his invitation to open the door of your life every day and invite him every day to come in? Because he's constantly knocking. He's waiting expectantly for you to open up the door to your heart and to let him make his presence and his power real in your life. Will you open the door? Oh, the, the reward, if you're able to do that, is amazing. You'll experience intimate relationship with the living God. Oh, it's yours through faith in Jesus Christ. But, but as you rely on yourself, as you surrender to sin, then, then the fellowship is broken. And Jesus says, I want that fellowship with you again. Jesus is letting you know something astounding. You can hear his voice. You can respond. Augustine put it this way. He said, to fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. Just lost all the men on our study right there. What? But listen up, men. To seek him, Augustine said, is the greatest of all adventures. Okay, amen. Amen. 
to find him, Augustine said, is the greatest of all human achievements. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking and he longs for you to hear his voice, to recognize at whatever level you're able to, to recognize the voice of your shepherd and to open the door and include him in your life. Pray with me, would you? Oh God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, though, we did not always recognize you. Thank you that every day, every moment is an opportunity to respond again, to open our lives to you anew. Forgive us for the times when we trusted in our, our financial and relational wealth, when what we really needed was just you. God, we, we declare today that we are grateful for all you have given us. More than anything, we're grateful for you. So God, hear us, right, as we cry out to you. Draw near to us, God, as we worship you. Open to us the doors of righteousness. And we will join you there. Oh, we love you. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.